In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Good morning. Isn't it beautiful to see a little rain outside? Oh. You know, um, August has never been a kind month for preachers. First of all, you have the waning days of summer. There are all the distractions while you're trying to write a sermon. And this August, with the parks and the restaurants of Portland, they're even more distracting now that the Delta variant is running around and we're all a little bit freaked out. <clears throat> and then there's the fact that the gospel readings that we've been assigned to preach on lately have been just, can we say, just unbelievably repetitive and a little boring. Unless you're a super Bible nerd, which is great. Um, this Sunday is the fourth Sunday in a row in which we hear the the sixth chapter of John, so-called Bread of Life Discourses. I am the bread of life, Jesus says over and over again throughout this chapter. Eat of this bread and you will never hunger. We hear it so often that we forget what it means, you know? But this morning, things get a little bit more interesting because this morning, we get to see what happens when Jesus pushes his disciples just a little bit too far. This is when they begin to defect. His followers are so offended by what Jesus is teaching that many of them just simply leave. They're just like, this is known in, the, in, in some circles as the great defection, the day when they, they just said, that's it, I've, I've had enough. He's gone too far. I can't keep following this guy. And, you know, who can blame them, really? Because what Jesus is asking them to do is just about the most offensive thing they can imagine. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me. So whoever eats me will live because of me. You can just see the disciples leaning in closer, just like trying to make sure they just got this right. Is, is he actually saying what we think he's saying? Did you just say you want us to eat your flesh? What? Now, to us, this sounds strange enough. I mean, we've been taking communion for so long, we're kind of used to it. But still, when you think about it, it's just very strange. But imagine how this must have sounded to the disciples because as bizarre as an idea as it is for us, it was a hundred times more bizarre for the, for the disciples. For the people of Israel, the question of blood, what to do with it, how to treat it, as, was an extremely touchy subject. First, the drinking of blood was just not just really gross, it was absolutely forbidden throughout the Bible, beginning in the book of Genesis, where God explicitly tells us not to drink the blood of any creature. In Leviticus, we're told that anyone who drinks blood will be cast out of the community. You shall be cut off from your kin, it says. God feels so strongly about this that he says, it shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. In other words, there will be no exceptions, ever. 
in the Hebrew Bible, blood is an incredibly impure substance. Any woman with a flow of blood was considered impure for at least seven days and was separated from the rest of the community. If a man even touched a woman while she was having her period, she was considered impure for the rest of the day. Any priest who came in contact with a bleeding animal, apart from ritual sacrifice, had to purify himself before being allowed back into service. But as impure as blood was for the people of Israel, there was one exception in the instance in which blood was uh, not actually impure, but thought to be doing the opposite. It carried a sacred power of cleansing, and that was when the blood was the result of a ritual sacrifice. The word sacrifice actually means, of course, to make sacred, and that's what the blood of a sacrifice did. It actually, when it came in contact with a person, it, it would make them sacred, consecrated, worthy to stand in the presence of God. When they consecrated an altar, for example, the blood of the sacrificed animal would be dashed against its sides in order to, to consecrate the altar. When it was time for his annual pur purification ceremony, a priest in the temple would be splattered with the blood of the sacrificed animal, thereby purifying him. After the uh, Ten Commandments were delivered to the people, Moses threw sacrificial blood onto all of the people in attendance, sealing them in what was called the blood of the covenant. It was this contact with sacrificial blood that made the people in their covenant with God holy. It sealed the deal, and in that moment of contact, the people were purified and made worthy of this covenant. And all of this, of course, Jesus would have had in mind as he gave these bizarre instructions to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And the only conclusion we can reach is that he must have seen his impending death on the cross as a ritual sacrifice, a ritual sacrifice in which he was the lamb. And touched by this blood of sacrifice, Jesus seems to be saying, we are all purified. We are all made holy worthy to stand in the presence of God, fully forgiven, healed, made new. I have to say that I've never gone in much for the church's traditional teachings about blood sacrifice and the atonement on the cross. It always seemed so strange and distasteful and primitive. And, I mean, raising all these difficult questions about God and why God would ever require such a thing. But then I have to remember that Jesus was not raised in my culture. Jesus was raised in a very different culture, a culture in which the blood of the sacrifice was the holiest thing on earth. And that he was asking us to take into our bodies this life-giving substance of his pain and suffering and letting it be for us consecration and wholeness, that he understood full well what this meant in terms of his death on the cross. 
I mean, when you think about that, it just changes my whole perspective. The idea that Jesus actually knew what he was doing here, that, that he was presenting himself as the ultimate sacrificial lamb so that we could be fully healed and perfectly loved. If that's what he had in mind when he said, drink this, all of you, if that indeed was his intention, then I can't help but think that what he said at that Last Supper, and more importantly, what he accomplished on the cross, had to have been just about the bravest and most loving thing I think I've ever heard of. Do this, he says, in remembrance of me. Take in these most sacred of elements of sacrifice pre present in this bread from heaven. Take them into your body. Let them literally become one with your body. And in the process, know this, that you are completely worthy of God. So it's not surprising that his followers just could not grasp what Jesus was trying to tell them, not just because it was all just so strange, but also because all of us have such difficulty with this idea that we are actually that worthy, that forgiven, that loved, that in the deepest part of who we are, on the level of our actual blood and flesh, we are perfectly worthy, deeply healed, actually okay. My father was a doctor. He was in the operating room every morning. He dealt with blood all the time. I remember one day we were living out in the country and we were cleaning out a barn and he accidentally gashed his finger on a rather, rather deep gash on a nail that was sticking out of a board. And I withdrew in horror, you know, at the sight of the blood. And he said, no, look, come closer. Look how beautiful it is. And he held his bleeding finger up into the sunlight and I saw that sparkling, bright vermilion. And I saw it through his eyes as a physician who understands the miracle of this beautiful, life-giving substance. And I think in that moment, I, I saw the blood as God sees it, maybe as, as Jesus saw it. These days, with the news being almost unwatchable, you know, I, I turned on uh, the news hour, PBS news hour, the other day. I just, I couldn't even get through it. With Afghanistan and Haiti and the coronavirus and the hurricanes, and the wildfires, with so much death and suffering so often on our minds, I'm wondering if maybe Jesus is inviting us to shift our perspective the way my dad did that for me. No, come closer, look again, he's saying. Shift your perspective. Take another look at suffering and death. I wonder, as Jesus grew up in Galilee, you know, as a boy, he had to walk down roads that were lined with men on crosses. 
I wonder if Jesus came to see that every drop of blood, not just his blood, but every drop of blood was a sacred substance that unites us all, a sacred offering to God. I wonder if he came to see every flash of pain, not as a punishment from God, but as an offering to God. Every ordinary stubbed toe, every headache, every death, even deaths on a cross, all the pain of our human experience, what if it's all rendered holy when we let it become a sacred offering? They say that God became flesh so that you know, he could know finally what it means and what it feels like to be alive in flesh and blood, to know the extraordinary taste of ordinary bread and wine, to feel the sensations of pain and suffering and death, to join with all the created beings in the one thing that we have in common, which is that we all eat and we all suffer and we all die, and that all of it, every crumb of bread, every drop of wine, every gasp, every cry, every sigh, every sob, all of it maybe, can become a sacred offering to God. What if we were here to offer every element of our experience, every taste, every breath, every throb, every tear? What if we were to offer all of it to God? What if the words of the Eucharistic prayer were truly our own, that at this altar we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God? What if we held on to none of it? What if we left everything, every bit of our human experience on the altar? How might that transform our suffering? This morning, I invite us all to leave it all on the altar. Let the consecrated bread and wine make you perfectly holy and acceptable to God, and in return, offer up your own life completely as an offering to God. In the process, perhaps this mysterious alchemy of divine transformation, this sacrificial exchange in which everything becomes holy. Maybe by these means, our broken and suffering world will be transformed before our eyes into the world as God sees it, sacred and exquisitely beautiful. Amen.